Welcome to PrismaCast, the podcast of Prisma Center for Jewish Day Schools. My name is Rachel Dratch, Associate Director of Educational Innovation here at Prisma, and this podcast is part of an amazing series called Startup Day School, envisioned and produced by Mr. Josh Gold, who is not only the middle school principal at the Hafter School in Lawrence, New York, but is also pursuing a doctorate at Yeshiva University. Without further ado, here's Josh with Startup Day School. Okay, welcome to welcome back, I should say, to the Startup Day School. My name again is Joshua Gold. Uh, I am here uh, with a, an incredible guest. This is our second episode, and I'm privileged to be here with Bracha Rutner, who is the interim head of school uh, here at Yeshiva University for Girls, also known as Central. I'm so happy uh, to be here. Bracha and I are going to be talking about the importance of active listening and li- listening with empathy and understanding, uh, and the implications that this kind of work has when it comes to uh, school leadership uh, as well as teaching and learning. So to jump in, thank you again, Bracha, for being here. And can you tell us uh, who are you? How did you get here? Uh, Not just the podcast, but professionally at large. Sure. Thank you so much uh, for having me on your podcast. So I am very passionate about what I do. I love educating students. I love it when they have that moment of understanding and literally you can see the light bulb go off in their faces and their heads it's really uh, so inspirational and motivational I grew up never thinking I was going to be a teacher and actually had a teacher who um, influenced me I would say not the most positive way I had a challenge in a class Mm -hmm. I always thought I would be a doctor and my teacher told me that if I could not succeed in chemistry, I could not succeed in medical school. And then my whole life kind of went in a different direction. Uh, And I, for a number of years, didn't know what I was going to do. And my first teaching experience was a total flop. Mm. Where was Uh, that? That was my Shana Ba'aretz. I gave on Shavuot night. I gave a talk on the Rambam and the ideas of loving and fearing or being in awe of God. Mm. And it was a disaster. So I said, okay, education isn't for me. But I kind of didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew that I had two passions. I have a passion for learning. Mm -hmm. I have always loved learning, uh, specifically learning Torah, but really learning anything. And I also love to help people and help them kind of find what they are interested in. And so I wanted to go ahead and find a way to marry those two passions. And I didn't know what I was going to do. So I spent many, many years learning. And then eventually I started giving classes and they weren't a flop Mm. and they were successful. And I said, okay, maybe education is for me. So it wasn't, it wasn't teaching that you didn't like. It was bad teaching that you didn't like. (laughs) Correct. Yeah. Correct. And uh, then I started teaching and actually my first day of school, uh, teaching in Yeshiva Flatbush, I walked out of the room crying and I Mm. said, this is not for me. But then I held my head high and I went in the next day and I just really fell in love with coming in each day and seeing my students learning, loving learning, being engaged in learning. And that has propelled me in the last 16 years to go ahead and go out of the classroom to think about not just what goes on to what goes on in a classroom but what enables good teaching to right. come about right. and what enables a teacher to have good curriculum and good teaching skills to make the learning experience the best that it can be for our students 
Totally. That's, a, that's an amazing, amazing story. You know, I, I speak to teachers uh, a lot, for, especially first-year teachers, and one of the things I say is I had a professor in undergrad who used to say that every teacher has days where you leave the school and you're like, I never want to go back there. Yeah. And he said a, a, an exercise that he always found to be fruitful that I've used myself is on your drive home, look at all the businesses that you pass, right? You're going to pass a bank, you're going to pass stores, retail stores, different things, whatever. And at each one, say to yourself, do I want to work there? And as you pass each one, usually you're going to say, no, nah, I don't really want to work there. And by the time you get home, you're like, you know what, actually, working in a school is not so bad. Now, if you get home and you still don't want to go back to the school, that might be a bad thing. But I found that to be cathartic and helpful. So the focus of this conversation, we are going to be talking about questioning and discussion techniques and how to use listening as a tool as a school leader and also in the classroom. And so one of the things we're talking about is we both have um, a background in Danielson. So prior to my entry into Jewish day schools. I worked in the public schools in New York City for 10 years. Uh, I taught in a Title I school for three years. Title I is where uh, the preponderance of students are uh, coming from low-income families. Uh, and then for seven years, I was a teacher and school leader at a gifted and talented school in uh, the Lower East Side, uh, which was a very different experience, but really gave me a kind of broad spectrum of experiences. I say that to preface the fact that um, Danielson's rubric, Char Char Charlotte Danielson's rubric is really at the core of uh, kind of how I see education, it's how I was trained, uh, and her rubric is something I believe uh, very much in. For those who are not familiar, Charlotte Danielson's rubric is a kind of four domain framework that looks at, that, that kind of uh, how to, provides a framework for how to look at teaching. So domain one is looking at a teacher's planning and preparation, how much they understand content and pedagogy. Uh, domain two is what kind of classroom environment they're cultivating. Uh, is it an environment of respect and rapport and how well they manage student behavior, uh, create a safe environment for learning. Domain three is instruction. This is kind of the meat and potatoes of, uh, of teacher supervision and, and, uh, and, and feedback and that kind of thing. And domain four is uh, professional responsibilities that fall outside of the pedagogical scope. And Danielson herself, I believe, or at least this is always how I was taught, that uh, 3B, which is one of the subsets of, of Domain 3, uh, 3B, using questioning and discussion techniques, is not only the most important uh, of, the, of the different uh, subsets, the categories, but also the hardest. Uh, creating and cultivating authentic conversation in your class is one of the hardest things to do, but we also know from all the research that students learn most when they are engaging in authentic dialogue with each other. And so with that, the question I have is this, how do you respond to the following, the following, uh, the following line? I had, a, I had a professor at Columbia say to me, he said, historically, teachers were taught that teaching is talking and learning is listening. But in fact, it's actually the exact opposite that when you're doing a great job teaching, the majority of what you're doing is, is listening to students. And when students are talking, when they're able to articulate what they think and what, they, and what their thought process is, that's when they're having the most authentic learning experiences. How do you, what do you think about that? You agree with that? I would 100% agree with that. And I think of a story that a friend of mine shared the other day. She had laryngitis hmm. and she taught two classes. And she was so worried about going into class because she said, how am I going to teach? And she had two fabulous days because she realized exactly that teaching is not about talking. Mm -hmm. It's about the students engaging in their learning yes. by talking to you. Yes. And that the most effective learning yes. is not passive learning. It's active learning. And yes. I see 
students who sit in a class where they are just told, write this down, this should be in your notes, come out and are bored. Right. And they can spit back the material for an exam or for a quiz or for an assessment, but they're not genuinely learning. Yes. Whereas when they sit in a classroom and they're challenged, even if sometimes they say, I don't want to be challenged, it's too hard. Right. That is how they learn best. And for me, I'm also Danielson uh, uh, trained. Uh, here at Central, we are we partnered with the Jewish New Teachers Project mm -hmm. about six years ago. And we have five trained mentors in our school who work with uh, mentees, sometimes brand new teachers who are first time to the classroom or teachers who may have more experience and may need more cultural mentorship. And I very much believe that Danielson has made all of us better teachers and has really enhanced our entire school um, experience. And specifically in my, in my, I also teach in a class. I am a Gemara teacher. And Gemara is all about the mm -hmm. questions and the answers. And I hope and I try very much every day to have the balance of me talking and my students talking weighed more towards the students talking. Yes. I give them a lot of group work so they can work individually and it's always with questions. What do you think? What does this opinion say in the Gemara? What does Rashi say on that? Why? I know for today, for example, we were going through a very challenging uh, opinion in the Gemara and the students kept asking me well, why is he here what is he adding and I said to them that's those are the exact questions I want you to be thinking what new ideas he bringing and even if the answers are not always so satisfying the questions are so important and I think of the comic that I saw a number of years ago which was had two books side by side and one book was the book of questions, and it was very, very thick. Uh, uh -huh. And the other was the book of answers, and it was thin. Yeah. So I understand that sometimes that can be frustrating when we don't have all the answers, but we'll right. never get to the answers if we don't ask the questions. Totally. And I, I, so I very much agree with the idea. And even when I do my own, when I do observations, yeah. um, I often, I, I have a, an outline. I, I do what I saw, what I learned, what I wonder. And I ask a lot of questions of the teachers of what was your expectations of the class? Did it go the way that you wanted? Yes. Would you consider this? So even yes. when I'm giving feedback, it's often in the form of a question. And I find that that is also for students. When you ask them a question, your wording has to be right. uh, intentional. But when you ask them a question, they're much more likely to engage with you. Totally. And when you're talking to a teacher whose totally. observation you've done and you ask them a question to give them to elicit their own ideas, then they feel that, oh, you're really paying attention to what I'm yes. doing yes. and what I'm teaching, and you're really thinking deeply about my own classroom. And then all around, everyone feels that they're uh, a part of the learning experience, both the faculty and the students, depending on use it, the use of questions. Yes. I find that when you're giving feedback to teachers, questions can be uh, phenomenal if they are genuine wonderings, right? I, th I find, because I used to try this a lot, especially earlier in my career as a, as a teacher, supervising teachers and working with teachers as a, as a coach, was if the teacher felt that I knew what I wanted from them, from the question, then, and it's almost like Socratic method, I'm almost trying to lead them to a place of discovery by way of my questions, that sometimes I think felt manipulative. Yes. But if we're genuinely wondering together about how to get to next practice, that feels genuinely collaborative, and that's phenomenal. Yeah. You know, one of the things you also reminded me of was, 
I remember I said to my parents, my first year of teaching, I was teaching ninth grade social studies, global studies. And I remember coming back to my parents and being like, yeah, you know, first year teaching is tough. But my goodness, this content is fascinating. Why didn't they cover it like this when I was, a, when I was in ninth grade? And I realized the reason for it, I didn't realize this at the time, but later I realized in, in retrospect, it's because I was getting the best education in the room because I was talking so much. I was learning more than the students were because I was dominating the class. And I still say I, I often can, when I go into a classroom, tell how long a teacher's been teaching by how dominating they are of the lesson. The more teachers in the classroom, hopefully, the more comfort they have kind of being the facilitator of a learning opportunity or a learning experience than the kind of giving giver over of information to students. So it totally resonates with me. The other thing that I was thinking of, I'm a big basketball guy. I love basketball. I played, still play. Um, and Phil Jackson, who's you know the guru of basketball, thought has an amazing book called uh, Sacred Hoops. And one of the things he talks about is how the basketball in, in basketball, the ball, is like a spotlight, right? Think of it like a, like a play or a show, right? Uh, the spotlight can only be on one person at a time. And whoever has the ball, has, the spotlight is on them, which is why one of the reasons that it's important to share the ball and move the ball, right? The same goes for teaching. When someone is talking, it, whether it's in a, in a full class or small group setting, when a student is talking, the spotlight's on them, they have the opportunity to really kind of have these great experiences. Um, and you spoke so nicely about um, you know, probing qu uh, teachers as to whether or not they're really intentional about scaffolding their planning of questions. Are their questions leading to deeper learning? This is really, really uh, good stuff. All right, so if we are agreeing that cultivating authentic conversation and dialogue in the classroom is crucial uh, for, the, for the kind of creating the highly effective classrooms we want, then clearly good listening is important. So my question to you, Bracha, is what do you think good listening looks like? What do you think good listening sounds like? What are these types of, uh, how, how, would you, how would you respond to that? So I think good listening depends on the relationship you have with the person you're talking to and the environment in which you're talking to them. Yes. So the way good listening looks like in my classroom is different than it would look like in a faculty meeting mm. and diff different than it would look like if I was talking to somebody one-on-one -on -one, and different than it would look like if I was talking to a faculty member one-on-one -on -one or a student one-on-one. -on -one. So in terms of my classroom, I think creating the environment is really allowing the students to ask questions and responding to their questions. Mm. I always start telling my students from day one, I love what if questions. Yes. And they do not believe me until I allow what if questions. Right. And I really try to the best of my ability to allow every student to ask every question. And I, t I say to them, there's no stupid question. Yes. Sometimes some of the questions are not as thoughtful as the others are. Right. But if I allow them to ask the less thoughtful questions, yes. they will get to the point where they will ask the thoughtful questions. Yes. So Why I, do you think that is? Do you think it's because you call you because you because they know you're prioritizing the creation of a safe environment to ask questions? Do you think that's what it is, or is it something different? I think it's a combination of different factors. Yes, you've created the environment where you've allowed them to ask questions and it's comfortable for them to ask questions yep you also then train them I think uh, over time to ask better questions yes because sometimes what I'll do is a student will ask a question and it's not so thoughtful so I'll reframe it for them and I'll say did you mean this mm. and I'll say that and I think then they begin to think 
oh wait, do I mean what I want to say or do I mean something else? Right. Uh, say, I think sometimes reframing the question for them, using their own words, yes. which is a very important tool when listening to somebody, yes. helps them. And I think just over time, they begin to listen to each other's questions yes. and they also become just more thoughtful. And then their skills and their content knowledge are also growing over the course of the year and they themselves are growing. Mm -hmm. So I think that that is what can happen in a general classroom setting. I think what also enables that to happen is when you give group work and you sit with individual students and you give them guided questions, mm -hmm. they see what good questions look like or yes. it prompts them to ask better questions because my group questions, my chabruta questions are very, very direct. Yes. And I think that they see that model and then they see my exams, which are all examples because everything is application. And it just, it's a, tr it's a whole training process over the course of the year yep. about how to ask good, thoughtful, insightful questions when they're insightful. Right. But I also work to train them to ask them to ask questions not, I don't understand. Right. Okay, so tell me specifically what you right. don't understand. Right. And then over time, they're able to, I hear it. Yes. They don't say, I don't understand. They'll say, I don't understand why Rava is asking this question. What yeah. is he really asking? Yes. And the questions become much more specific, which means I can ask them. Mm -hmm. Or that also comes from me saying, well, I don't really understand your question. Can you reframe it for me? Right. And they're, they're being more specific in where they're seeing the access point not working for them. Right. As opposed to just like, you know, and really what they're saying is, I don't know how to access this text, right. but, or this, or this assignment, whatever it is, but that's not helpful for them and it's not helpful for their process, and it's not gonna be a tool for them as they get older and things get continuously harder. Right. One of the things I loved you said is um, that you were explicit with students about what we're after and teaching into it. For, I, I shared with you earlier that a watershed moment for me teaching was about year seven for me um, in the classroom. I identified going into the year, I had a great assistant principal who worked with me and identified my goals for the year. And what I said is, I really want to work on Danielson's 3B. I really want to get better at creating authentic dialogue between uh, students because I, I found that even though discussion was such a large part of my class, a lot of it was ping pong. Me to the student, student right back to me. Me to another student, that student back to me. And even though they were talking to each other by way of like the points that they were making, mm -hmm. they were talking through me. And I needed, to, I needed them to know that I didn't want that. They need to talk to each other. And so I was explicit with them. It was almost an experiment for me of, I'm gonna let the students know that this is what I'm working on professionally this year. Which is not always an okay thing. I don't know if it's, it's a, it, it certainly like a, requires discernment of whether or not it's appropriate to share what you're working on professionally. But I thought that in this case, if I was able to share with students that I'm vulnerable to, I'm working on this, this is what I want to get better at, and this is what I'm going to be working on in the classroom, I thought that that was helpful for setting up the stage for you know a safe space. And so what we said is, we're going to be working on students speaking to each other. If we feel like it could be better, we're going to stop in the moment, and we're going to say this is how it could be better. We're going to praise when we do see the good practice that we want. And most importantly, in the beginning of the year, we're going to invest time identifying what that good practice is, right? And so what we used as our text back then, and I use this still at after middle school, uh, is what's called Learning and Leading with Habits of Mind. Right, it's a great book. It's by uh, Arthur Costa and uh, Bina Kalik. And one of their, uh, one of the chapters in there, one of the habits of mind, if you don't know habits of mind are uh, sort of like um, 
habits that you have for responding to difficult situations or ambiguity or gray or something doesn't work out. It's sort of like grit and growth mindset, uh, like kind of in a variety of contexts, right? And so one of the habits of mind that they say uh, highly effective people have, to borrow a Stephen Covey term, uh, is listening with empathy and understanding. And so some of the things that they uh, put out, and they, they put out guidelines for what you should be doing by way of verbal and nonverbal behavior when you are listening are verbally you should be uh, restating or rephrasing a person's ideas before you offer your opinion instead of just saying I disagree this is very like uh, Beit Shammai Beit Hillel stuff right but we should be rephrasing just to clarify your point before I respond right we should ask questions to make sure that we understand uh, we should ask you know probing questions to make sure we're understanding where you're coming from uh, we should express empathy for others feelings and uh, express personal regard and interest these were sort of the guidelines for verbal behavior for, for good listening. For nonverbal behavior, we should be facing the person who's speaking. We should be establishing eye contact if it's appropriate. We should be nodding our head. We should be showing facial expressions that are similar to the message that is being given. So if someone's saying something very sad and we have a big smile on our face, that's obviously not appropriate. We should mirror the speaker's gestures and mirror the speaker's posture. If the speaker is sitting straight up and I'm slouched, not good, so on and so forth. And one of the great things I love about it is this is a great kind of like subversive way to teach emotional intelligence too for students because it's a great opportunity to say like, okay, eye contact, good. Too much eye contact, weird, right? Um, uh, you know, someone saying something sad, you shouldn't be smiling. Someone saying something funny, you shouldn't look miserable, so on and so forth. These are very, very important skills to be working on. And I, uh, obviously for middle schoolers, high schoolers, anybody, adults too. Um, but I think in the context of we're trying to be great listeners and understand each other and have good conversation, uh, it's really, really uh, valuable for students. So I, I felt like that was very helpful and something that I think uh, a lot of teachers could, uh, could take away too. Yeah, Brene Brown talks about different languages and different ways you can go ahead and tell someone you're listening to them. Uh, sometimes we make up stories in our head about what people are saying, or we interpret a certain way. So her tagline is, I'm making up a story in my mind that you are saying the following. Mm -hmm. uh, or some people say, I think I'm hearing you say the following. So it's also finding the language that you're comfortable with, that people will respond to when you totally. repeat. Because sometimes if you repeat things back to them, they look at you strange. Yes. They've never heard that before. Yes, yes. Or they're thinking, wait, why are you just repeating back what I said? Yes. But if you have a preface to your language of, I am going. To, I want to make sure that I really understand what you're saying. Right. Can you clarify for me if I if I if I'm if I'm right? If right. I really heard you. Right. Without some kind of preface, it just feels strange, and then the whole conversation can go in a very strange direction because the person doesn't know how to respond to you. Right. Totally. So. Totally. And I think that you're talking also like the fine line about doing it right versus doing it wrong yeah. is can be thin. Yes. Right. There is a fine line between probing in a way probing questions being asked in a way that is that feels curious right versus a way that feels like an interrogation correct and i think that um that's the kind of thing that uh, i i think that we just need to say to folks and coach folks and students are obviously in a great position to have that coaching be done um but i think these are skills that are valuable for anybody 
I think that the last couple things we're gonna say, because uh, we're almost out of time, is we've talked a lot about this uh, from the perspective of classrooms, how classroom teachers can employ these techniques and why they're so important for um, cultivating student uh, development. But what about the perspective of being a school leader, right? And so the last thing I'll, we'll say is this, which is Ronald Heifetz, who is one of my favorite uh, leadership gurus, uh, leadership on the Line is one of my favorite books, writes in another one of his books about adaptive leadership called The Practice of Adaptive Leader Leadership. He says, the activity of interpreting might be understood as listening for the, quote, song beneath the words. That so often, as school leaders, we are kind of in a position where to do our job very well, we need to be able to hear the song beneath the words, right? That we know parents are coming in and students are coming in, particularly parents are coming in, bringing every experience they ever had in school to every interaction. And often maybe saying one thing, but really meaning something else. So how, how do you see that skill as being applicable to school leadership? Uh, it's very applicable. Uh, someone comes in to talk to you about an issue, you have to hear, is it really the issue at hand mm. or is it a much bigger issue? I know I had a parent call me today to complain about a trip, but it wasn't really a complaint about the trip. Right. It was a complaint about the lack of communication that the parent felt was going on. Right. And so to hear that and to say to the parent, I really hear you and I think that this might be a bigger issue and just to name it sometimes. Yes. And then the parent says, and this is true with faculty, Oh yeah, really, I think that that's the issue. Totally. Because you can't, you, you might be able to small, solve a, excuse me, you might be able to solve a small issue, but if you're not addressing the larger issue, it's just going to keep coming back again and mm -hmm. again and yes. again because yes. you haven't really solved the issue because you don't really know what the issue is. Yes. Um, and that can be hard and sometimes it can take time and a number of conversations to figure out what that song really is from a parent perspective, what the song is from a faculty perspective. A teacher comes to you with an issue and they keep coming to you with an issue and you think you've solved it. Yes. Clearly you haven't addressed the issue. Yes. Because there's something much, much bigger going on. Yep. And that really takes time and it really takes listening, hearing the words. And was their concern that they raised this time different than last time? Mm -hmm. Or was it exactly the same? And to try and kind of call from them what they're really concerned about. Yes. And that's, uh, that's really very important. And I, I have to constantly have that in my mind of what is this person really mm -hmm. asking me? And I, I think it's true in life relationships in yes. general. Yes, People have an argument. I think about this from a husband and wife perspective. They have an argument. What are they, what's the real issue at hand? What yeah. are they really... Uh, talking about what are they really thinking about and I always have to remind myself which is why I have a little post-it on my computer that just says listen mm -hmm. uh, I sometimes I'm, I'm gonna add a few other things that I want to just remember but it's always what is somebody really saying and I think that that quote might actually be the n next thing to put on my desk I like it uh, just to remind myself, what is that song? Yeah, totally. what are they really saying? Totally, totally. My mom is a my mom is a therapist, and I grew up. My mom is a Carl Rogers kind of a student, um, not kind of. She was a Carl Rogers student, <laughs> and uh, in Rogerian therapy, the 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 lashon is um, being in congruence with the person you're listening to, um, emotionally, um, you know, spiritually, whatever it is. I feel like that kind of approach being aligned with who you're listening to is 
uh, going to set you up to be successful in that way. But really developing the art and the sensitivity to it is, is, is a crucial part of this work. Uh, Brach, I want to thank you so much for being on our podcast. This was our second podcast. I thank you again uh, to Prisma for allowing us the opportunity to have this space. And I look forward to all the listeners joining us for session three. Have a great rest of the day. Thanks so much. Thank you. That was an amazing podcast. Thank you, Josh. For contact info and links from today's episode, check us out at prisma.org. Follow us on social media at prismacjds. Subscribe to this podcast wherever podcasts are found. And check out the Prisma Knowledge Center, our online place to find resources, templates, articles, reports, and research on all things day school for day school leaders.